You are listening to episode six of the Almost Sideways podcast. On today's podcast, Todd joins me to talk about the 25th anniversary of A Few Good Men and what would that movie look like if it were made today. We also do a power rankings of the top biopic performances of the 21st century. All this and more coming up on the Almost Sideways podcast. Here we go. Give me a go, no go for launch. There is a new fiesta in the making as we speak. I was going to say something that was not true. Obviously, I agree. We are go for launch. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Almost Sideways podcast. How's it going, Todd? Uh, it's going pretty good. How are you? You know, I've I've been better. I've been better. We're recording this on Sunday. Yesterday was quite a depressing day for uh, for my college football teams. We had you had UW lose in a in an upset to Arizona State late last night, and you had Nebraska not even be able to compete with Ohio State yesterday. And the Seahawks are on a bye, so I can't even you know cheer myself up with them today. So you know it's 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 an okay yeah, this weekend day. Sucks. Yeah, it it does. It really does. And there weren't even really any great movies that came out this weekend either. Yeah. No. Nothing. Uh, Happy Death Day. Eh, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. But here we are on a Sunday recording our podcast, and uh, we're here to talk about some movies that we've seen. We're going to do uh, a little uh, something new this week. We're going to talk about uh, a classic film that, and uh, look at what it would look like if it were made today, what the cast would be, who would be uh, in charge of a film like that. So we're going to look at that coming up in a little bit. But first, we actually have some breaking movie news. And Todd... This concerns uh, something we've been talking about the last couple podcasts. You know now no longer have to refer to it as the untitled Paul Thomas Anderson Project. It has a title. We have a title for our, our final Daniel Day-Lewis performance film that might win him his, his next Oscar. And yeah, I was going to say, we title... know what the movie is called that's going to win Best Actor. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So the the uh, the film it, it's set in the fashion world of fifties London. We knew all this already. It just didn't have a title. And this weekend it was announced that, that title would be Phantom Thread. What are your reactions? Well, I had I had heard that title before, but I guess they just officially called it that. It I don't. It makes it sound like a, like a thriller or something. Like it's kind of a an interesting title for something that looks like very sophisticated. <laughs> Yeah, uh, it's 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 nice to finally have a name to go with a film because you know that's kind of how you identify it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and it, this like, is set to come out within been... like the next couple months, and now it's finally has a title. I don't think I've ever seen a film wait this long to announce what its title is going to be. Yeah, they usually at least have like a title, and then maybe they change it or something like at the last minute, like they. Invictus was the human factor for like the longest time, but like we don't even have a trailer for that movie either. Like I don't know how much more under wraps they can keep that movie. <laughs> it's all kind of pointing to is it actually going to come out this year? 
Is it gonna be pushed back? Because usually these things are available by this point. Yeah, I mean, usually Paul Thomas Anderson's movies play at the Toronto Film Festival, and that already happened, so that's not gonna... <laughs> I have no idea what's going on there. Yeah, maybe maybe we have to have to wait another year for uh, for Daniel Day-Lewis to win his Oscar. But we have a title, so we're one step closer to actually knowing something about this film, which is good, which is good. Uh, thanks everybody once again for uh, for listening to to us as we as we ramble our, our random musings about movies. Again, you can find us all over the internet. We are on Facebook at almostsideways.com. We have our almostsideways.com website, which archives all of our ratings and reviews for films, uh, whether it's me or Todd or Zach or Adam. Adam has his Almost Sideways YouTube channel. I think I heard he hit 300 subscribers this week on his YouTube channel, which is pretty impressive. Uh, you can also find us on uh, on Twitter. I'm at Almost Side Terry. Adam is at Adam Sideways. Zach is at Zach Salts 36. And Todd is not on Twitter. What's up with that, Todd? Come on. I don't know. I'm behind the times, I guess. Behind the times. It also took you forever to go to fa- Facebook. You were still stuck in MySpace till like five years ago or something. It wasn't five years ago. It was, <laughs> it was like maybe 2009. 2000 and way too late. That's what it was. Anyways, uh, look us up on there. And again, you can find this podcast on uh, iTunes or anything that uh, works with iTunes. Please rate and review us. That way we can be heard by more listeners. All right. It's time to actually get this thing started with a couple movie reviews. I love this movie so much. He saved the day! Movie reviews! This week, we are each going to be looking at um, a movie that we've seen over the last uh, last week or two. And Todd, I'm going to let you get started with this. All right. Uh, on... Uh, <laughs> This Friday, October 13th, uh, in theaters and on Netflix, uh, the uh, new Noah Baumbach movie came out, The Meyerowitz Stories, New and Selected, and I I watched that right away because I love Noah Baumbach, and it's the best acted movie of the year. Uh, Dustin Hoffman plays Harold Meyerowitz, a pa- he's a painter whose work is being celebrated in New York, so his estranged uh, children from around the country come to help uh, pay tribute and, of course, since it's a Noah Baumbach movie, so they all clash with each other. Hoffman gives his most committed performance in at least two decades. Like, even though he kind of gets acted off the screen by his co-stars, like, we have to care about his movie, or about his character, because he's the heart of the story. And if we don't understand him and how narcissistic and everything that he is, then we're not really going to care about the movie. And he does a really good job at making us care. Adam Sandler uh, is astonishing as his son Danny, who uh, he's a failed musician, and that's sort of the focus of him being belittled by his his father all the time and being treated like he's less than. Uh, Elizabeth Marvel, who I've had not really seen in a whole lot of stuff. House of Cards is one thing I hadn't seen her in. Uh, she's subtle as as uh, the daughter Jean. She doesn't really talk like at all, but she has like one scene where she's like where she like give her, her chance to shine, and she's really good. And Ben Stiller is the best performance he's ever given as uh, the half-sibling Matthew, who's like a successful businessman, and he uh, kind of built his career as like a 
a way, to, almost like a protest to his father, because uh, and the, his way of thinking. And I don't know. It's uh, it, yeah, it's interesting to see Stiller play Hoffman's son again. But you know, this one isn't gonna have any sequels like the Fokker movies. Um, yeah, but it, it's a Bob Bach movie. It's it's painful. It's powerful, but it's also like so authentic that it's really funny at the same time. And uh, the the actors are just really good, and it's uh, they don't get preachy or overly cinematic, but they do have definitely scenes where they uh, where they they're just like it's almost like speeches and they like fight with each other and it's it's really good uh it's not as pessimistic either as uh his other movies like margo at the wedding and squid and the whale there's actually some warmth in the end and it's a i think it's the best movie and i hope the netflix uh release actually gets it a wide audience i i give uh i give the movie three and a half out of four stars wow and that and it takes a lot for you to give a movie that high of a rating so that's a that's impressive all right, well, the film I am going to uh, review for you guys is a movie I actually just watched last night. Uh, this movie came out, I think it was last weekend, and it is the uh, new HBO documentary entitled Spielberg, as it uh, chronicles and uh, charts the career of one of the greatest American filmmakers of our generation, Steven Spielberg. Uh, going into this film, I was really excited because I am a big Spielberg fan. He's done such amazing work, such iconic work over the last 40, 50 years. And I was really excited to see how they were going to go into this in-depth talk of it. Going into it, I thought this was a film that would be impossible for me not to like because it is about Steven Spielberg's career. However, I was wrong. I did not really like this film at all. It was way too long. It was a two and a half hour movie documentary. It was way overindulgent. Uh, if it had just been interviews with Spielberg and him telling about his his career and the choices he's made, and the films he's made, it would have been outstanding, because that was the best part of the movie. However, there were all these other parts where they were interviewing film critics, and they were interviewing producers, and they were interviewing all these other people that were kind of related to Spielberg, or had something to say about him. And so many times, it felt like I was watching a montage getting ready to present him with a Lifetime Achievement Award at some awards ceremony. It was just over the top, just praise for him. And every now and then, one of the people would try to maybe criticize something he had done, but instead they would turn it into a positive, and then they would be talking about how amazing he was again. There was so much of that. It took away from the great parts of this of this movie and there were some great parts it talked a lot about his childhood his formative years how he became who he was how he used to sneak onto the universal lot and uh and make his movies and sneak on to filmings of of alfred hitchcock films so he could watch him direct and there were some great things there it talked about his friendship with George Lucas and Martin Scorsese and Francis Ford Coppola and Brian De Palma and how they kind of became this group of directors 
that uh, traveled around everywhere and pushed each other and challenged each other. Uh, and all, all four of those guys had interviews that were a part of this. That was amazing. When it was just Spielberg talking about his work, they spent about 10 minutes talking about Jaws. They spent a good amount of time talking about Schindler's List. They spent a good amount of time talking about uh, something like Saving Private Ryan. These were great moments. However, then they had to spend time talking to all these other people that I didn't care about. It was, it easily could have had about 45 minutes less on the, on the runtime and been a much, much better movie. Um, so partially because of the disappointment and partially because of all this, I'm going to give it two stars and I, I, I want to see, I kind of want to see the director's cut of, you know, cutting out instead of adding on <laughs> because they wasted my time with all this other stuff. It's like they talk, they would talk about an era of Spielberg filmmaking and then they had to end it with this montage of people praising him and then it would go black and seriously you felt like the next thing you were going to see is and the Lifetime Achievement Award goes to Steven Spielberg. And instead, it went on to the next era of his career. It's like, why do you need, you know, three or four different moments where you're looking like you're going to wrap up the, the film? It just, I I just wanted to hear him talk. I What I wanted was like a glorified inside the actor's studio session with Steven Spielberg. And what I got was not that very disappointing. Um, if you love Steven Spielberg, still watch it. There's still some great stuff in there, but fast forward through all the junk and get to the good parts. So you wanted basically to be more like the De Palma documentary that came out a couple years ago. That, exactly. And that's exactly, like yeah. And that's exactly what I was expecting. And I saw they, they filmed like 12 hours of interviews with, with Steven Spielberg to make this film. But then they spent too much time talking to all these other people that all they wanted to do was praise him and congratulate him on this incredible career, which he has had. But let's focus on what it is, and that's going in depth into his career and not talking about how everyone else loves his career. Yeah, if you, if you find yourself with the free two and a half hours or you need something to be playing in the background while you're doing something else, you can turn on Spielberg. Otherwise, you know, see if they cut 45 minutes from it later on and just give you the good parts. All right. All right, so there's our uh, our movie reviews uh, for today. It's, it's strange. This was really weird. You got to give the really, really positive review, and I got to talk about how I hated a movie. This never happens. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what's going on. It's a, it's a weird weekend, like you said. It's a weird weekend. Uh, let's move on to our our next uh, our next topic. I'm really excited for this one. We're going to try something a little new today. And we are going to talk about if there was a remake. That that's a, I think that's where we're going to use as the title of this section. We haven't really come up with a title. Well, what do we want to have as a title for this segment? I guess if there was a remake, that's what I used to call my uh, the, my blogs when I was doing this. When I did the one about Police Academy and the Deer Hunter. Oh, yeah. If there was a remake. Or... I like that. Ooh, ooh. The remake recasting. The remake recasting? Yeah, there you go. Okay. 
Anyways, all right. So this this is the untitled almost sideways podcast segment, where and and um, and we will come up with a title, you know, about in time for Paul Thomas Anderson to release his film. There um, we go. there we go. <laughs> so we're going to be talking about a, a movie that is one of our favorites. It, it this year marks the twenty fifth anniversary of A Few Good Men, a great courtroom drama. Uh, from 1992 and we're gonna look at if this movie were made today what would it look like who would be in it who would be taking some of these um, these main cast members or these main characters in this film who would be in charge of it and uh, this was quite an interesting process to come up with this cast um, I think we may be in agreement in some spots I I think I went with some pretty um, some pretty outside the box choices for some of these so let's get started with our writer director combo for this film now originally in the original few good men this was one of the first uh outings for writer aaron sorkin and it was also based on one of his plays and the director was rob reiner so todd why don't you tell me who you envision being the uh, the screenwriter and director of this new version of A Few Good Men? Well, if the movie were made today, I think that it'd be an interesting take to get it a little bit different, a little bit less uh, stagey, and I would have Mark Bull writing and Catherine Bigelow directing. Ooh. So it would make it... It would be a different feel somewhat, but this is the type of movie that I think that they, they'd be really good at doing. The military stuff, obviously, Mark Bull is a genius with uh, that kind of thing. And if it if it was as hard hitting as Zero Dark Thirty or something like that, I think it'd be awesome. Yeah, that would definitely give an edge to this film that uh, that there wasn't before. Interesting. Okay. All right. I went a very very different direction. First off, for my screenwriter, since he's still working. I'm going to go with Aaron Sorkin again, because I think this script is pretty perfect as is. And Aaron Sorkin is about as good as you can get when it comes to dialogue. And in a court in courtroom scenes, all you have is dialogue. So why would you go with anything different than what you already have? And I would keep it with Aaron Sorkin. Let him take care of it. My director, I'm going to go with George Clooney. George Clooney's made some great films. He's very good at um, kind of coming up with uh, this classic feel to his films. And so I would want to see George Clooney and see what his take would be on uh, on A Few Good Men. I could see that. I guess the the uh, ensemble nature of the cast is, is would be a lot like uh, Good Night and Good Luck kind of thing. He, I think I, I like that choice. That'd be interesting. Okay. So... Now let's talk about our casting. First off, before we get into our casting, I gotta go on a little bit of a rant here. Because as I was getting set to do this uh, this casting, I was really getting frustrated. Because you look at the cast that made this film originally, you have uh, names like Tom Cruise and Demi Moore and Kevin Bacon these and these guys were were pretty big stars at the time already in their careers and they were 
Tom Cruise was 30 years old when this came out. I think Demi Moore was about 29. Um, Kevin Bacon was 33, 34. They were young, young guys. And Hollywood doesn't make movie stars that young anymore. It's really sad to see. It's almost like I was thinking about this. The 70s and early 80s, Hollywood made uh, directors. Like, that's what ruled Hollywood, was the directors and the films that they would make. The late 80s and the 90s, Hollywood made movie stars. The guys like Tom Cruise and Tom Hanks and these, these big-time movie stars, Adam Sandler and Ben Stiller, who we've already mentioned, Jim Carrey, they made movie stars, and you went to see films because of the, of the movie stars that were fronting them, and that's what made classics. Over the last 17 years or so, Hollywood has made brands. That's what their focus is on. You're, you're going to go see something because of what you already know about it. It's a remake. It's a sequel. It's a comic book movie. It's based on a popular book. And they don't care who's in it. And if there's going to be a movie that is fronted by a movie star, it's one that's already established. Tom Cruise is 55 years old and is still trying to play a 30-something in some of his films. Give those roles to a 30-year-old. Stop giving them to Tom Cruise. Let somebody else be a movie star. Because that's how Tom Cruise became a movie star. He started becoming... He, he made Risky Business, what, when he was 20 years old? Something like that? Let somebody else be a movie star. Let somebody else have a turn and start making these movie stars again that we can look at and see our bankable actors that make great films. That's my rant. I agree. <laughs> well, you said it all. I mean, I don't, I don't really have anything to add. <laughs> I had to think of Tom Cruise in this sense because we're talking A Few Good Men. And you look at some of the films he's come out with recently. He had, uh, this year he had The Mummy, which came out, which easily could have been someone in their 30s playing because he was acting like he should have been a 30-something-year-old instead of a 50-something-year-old. Uh, a couple years ago, he had Edge of Tomorrow, which I loved. However, he was playing a 30-something-year-old. He's playing a character half his age. Let someone half your age play the character. Another one that came out this year was uh, uh, Kidnap with Halle Berry which didn't look like a great film in the first place, but Halle Berry, you're getting older. You're closer to playing a grandma than playing a mother of a toddler. <laughs> Cast someone the age of the character they're going to play. Ah, okay. That's what I have to say. Well, then, you, like, it's, it's almost weird seeing when they're actually the right age like i always remembered in drag me to hell like justin long was playing a college professor and i was like is are we there like is that is that real but yeah i mean he was the right age like he easily could have been a college professor it just it looked weird because normally <laughs> those are those are actors that are a lot older yeah hollywood is stuck with their movie stars and they refuse to let them move on that's what I have to say. My cast is trying to 
bring a, bring out some new movie stars in some of the choices I made, and I have a feeling you did too. So let's look at um, let's look at our cast now. I'm gonna let you start because I've been talking too much already. Uh, let's start at the top. Lieutenant Daniel Caffey, originally played by Tom Cruise, would now be played by. Uh, for me, this one's obvious. It would be Miles Teller. He is uh, every everything about Miles Teller is like, and what he, the kinds of movies that he does. This would be totally the kind of like role that he would be sought. Or they pursue him, and he would pursue this kind of role. Like, he, and he would be absolutely amazing. And he can hold his own against any actor. So he's not going to get, like, outshined by whoever ends up playing Jessup or anything. Like, it shows, like, in Whiplash especially. Like, he like he, he is, he can be the star of a movie and completely dominate when he has to. Who do you have? I thought about Miles Teller. I decided to go a different direction. I know, I know, you were, you were hoping that, that we would have this one in common. I thought about him, I decided to go a different direction, and my choice for Kathy, I think, could very easily turn into this generation's Tom Cruise, because he has the same charisma, and the same, uh, just the same demeanor as Tom Cruise uh, does, and did in this movie, and that's Zac Efron. I want to see Zac Efron take on Kathy. This kind of frat boy mentality that all of a sudden now has to take himself seriously and to be a serious uh, a serious character in this uh in this situation i think zach efron could easily end up on a tom cruise career path and this would be the start yeah that's that's not a bad choice i he has had a he has had a few movies where he's had to actually act so and this one uh I can't picture it, but I I wouldn't doubt it. I, I I like your I like your comparison to to Cruise though. I think I think there's definitely something there. He's never really done anything like this, so that would be a that would definitely a step out. Yeah, and this is something that I really tried to do as I went through all these. About the same age, I think Zac Efron's 29, Tom Cruise was 30, so the it, very comparable age um, when you're looking at casting that part. Moving on. All right. Colonel... The next character I think we're going to look at is going to be... You want to do uh, Colonel Jessup? Yeah, let's do Colonel Jessup. Colonel Nathan R. Jessup, which was the Oscar-nominated role of Jack Nicholson. And I have a few uh, actors I had in mind. Some of... Like, uh, two of them are just because it would make sense with what we've... For different circumstances, and then I have, like, a real choice. But now that I look at it, there's actually a, a live TV movie that's going to be made of A Few Good Men next year. I saw it, this too. And it has Alec Baldwin as Colonel Jessup. I thought J.K. Simmons would be a pretty awesome Jessup because of uh, the Whiplash connection. And uh, uh, I also had had the idea of Tom Cruise playing Jessup, coming completely full circle, playing the part uh, the opposite part from what it'd be like a sort of a sleuth kind of thing like he switches roles when he gets older and I think he would be awesome the only problem with having Cruz is he's so small like I don't think he could really be intimidating like <laughs> Nicholson was 
But yeah, the I only saw... real choice for me of, for Colonel Jessup is Brian Cranston, and I, I can't see any other actor being able to deliver those lines of Colonel Jessup in the courtroom like quite like Brian Cranston. He would totally just blow everyone off the screen, and that's exactly what is needed by that part. That's a great choice. That is a great choice. Um, I saw that they're doing the live TV uh, version of A Few Good Men also, and once I saw that Alec Baldwin was set to play Jessup, I couldn't get that out of my head because I think that's perfect, but I tried anyways. Um, I thought Tom Cruise for a second to try and bring that all full circle, but like you said, I don't see him being able to play that part um, I had a couple other names that I was floating around out there instead of instead of Tom Cruise. What about Kevin Bacon playing Jessup? I could see that turning out a lot better than Tom Cruise. I could see it. That, that was one of my ideas. Another idea I had that I thought would be really interesting would be having Mark Harmon play Jessup, and he does his entire uh, Special Agent Gibbs from NCIS. Uh, that has a very similar demeanor to, to Colonel Jessup. However, my choice for Jessup is a little outside the box, and I still don't fully think that I love it. But if George Clooney is directing it, George Clooney would be Jessup. And okay. it, it's, it's, a, it's a different kind of role for him. However, I have yet to see a role George Clooney couldn't pull off um he would have to be a lot harder than he's been in anything else but i don't think that means he couldn't do it it would be a really interesting um a really interesting casting and i i loved the idea of zach efron and george clooney having to play off each other i think those two would have great chemistry together so i'm going with george clooney as jessup well i think you could nail the nail the lines i just don't I don't know. I I can't really see him being like a seasoned soldier. Like is he even like as Three Kings the only time he's ever played a military guy, and even that was kind of strange. Uh, men who stare at goats. <laughs> well, yeah, there's that. <laughs> there is that. I love that movie, by the way. I think I'm one of the few. I was also thinking with Cranston. If Cranston was Jessup, then Aaron Paul would be Caffey, but I think he's a little too old. Yeah, I I was thinking I was thinking uh, Aaron Paul for uh, oh, what was the one I was thinking him for? I was thinking him for Kendrick, but he's too old. <laughs> yeah, he's like thirty eight, but he doesn't look that old. He could still play it, but that would be like going against everything that you were just talking about. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I I didn't do it. Okay, let's move on. All right, next we have uh, Lieutenant Commander Joanne Galloway, uh, originally played by Demi Moore. Uh, Todd, what would you, uh, what, who do you have, uh, taken on this role? Well, for me, it, it's pretty obvious who would get chose, and that's just who I went with. It's Emma Stone. Like, she, she would be the, the perfect Joe. She even kind of, she, she has, she can even kind of look like it. I mean, I, I think she'd be perfect, and she, I mean, I don't know if she'd actually take the role, because it's not exactly a starring role, but she would be the one that would be chosen. I had, I had a couple others that I had in mind that could do it. There's a lot of actresses in that range. I, I was thinking Scarlett Johansson would be pretty good at it. Elizabeth Olsen, Kristen Stewart. I think all of them would be uh, equally good, but Emma Stone is the one that would be chosen. Yeah, that that's probably a pretty safe bet there. Um, I thought of her also. 
However, again, I'm looking at trying to come up with a realistic uh, casting, and that'd be a lot of that'd be a lot of star power. And like you said, it'd be a star, and not necessarily a star role. So would she necessarily take it? The uh, person I came up with to play Galloway is Emmy Rossum. Uh, she uh, burst on the scene in Phantom of the Opera about 10, 12 years ago, but she's more known now for playing um, the oldest sibling in the Gallagher family in Shameless. Uh, she's shown in that that she's got the spunk needed to play Galloway. She's about the same age. She actually kind of looks like Demi Moore in a lot of ways. Um, and I think she could... She has the the um, acting chops to pull that off. Yeah, I I didn't really think Emmy Ross, and that's a good choice though. I that that does seem like a realistic option for sure. But I don't know if the movie's as big enough budget as I'm making it. Uh, <laughs> Emma Stone would be. Up. I mean, Bigelow got a bunch of big time actors to be in Zero Dark Thirty, right? Like not not having big parts, so it's possible. Well, well, if if it's Bigelow, you might as well just go Jeremy Renner as Caffey and uh, and Jessica Chastain as Galloway, and you know, just uh, like get all that out of the way there. At least. <laughs> okay, let's move on. Uh, let's go, Captain Jack Ross, originally played by Kevin Bacon. For me, I the whole reason. I, we chose this movie is because I just had thought about how perfect Army Hammer would be as Jack Ross. His stature, his, like, how he acts is, like, very Kevin Bacon-ish, I think. I, I cannot picture anybody else playing that part. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned Army Hammer to me before we started doing this as your inspiration. And after you said that, I had a really hard time picturing anybody else playing Ross. Because, yeah, it, it's a perfect choice. This straight and narrow uh, guy to play off of Caffey. However, since you said that, I had to go with somebody else. And I decided to go extremely outside the box here. And just think of somebody else that could pull off this role uh, that couldn't necessarily relate to the original. And the person I came up with was Leslie Odom Jr., uh, he is uh, fresh off of a Tony Wynn playing Aaron Burr in uh, Hamilton. Uh, I think he would be a very interesting choice here, and I think he could really do a wonderful job in a role like this, playing uh, playing the straight guy, playing the, um, the rule follower to the loose cannon of Caffey. Plus, it adds that extra dimension of him being African-American, adding that diversity to the cast, I think it would have been, uh, it would be a great choice. I'm actually not really familiar with the actor, so I don't, I don't know, but that, it, uh, it seems like you got a good, uh, good reasoning behind it. I, I kept thinking of, uh, of black actors to play, uh, Kendrick, but I didn't really think about it for Ross. Okay, well, since you mentioned him, Let's move on to uh, Lieutenant Jonathan Kendrick, originally brought to us by Kiefer Sutherland in one of his first film roles. Um, Todd, who do you have uh, playing Kendrick? Uh, once again, uh, my infinite uh, budget casting would be uh, Chris Evans. 
<laughs> I think uh, I think that I mean he's obviously he he plays soldier for sure, but uh, I don't know. Ken, Kendrick's a, an interesting character because like Kiefer Sutherland's got such a unique voice. It's always hard to like picture anybody else playing his parts because you you kind of want it to sound like that, but obviously Chris Evans doesn't. But I I, I think he he has the type of persona that that fits that that kind of part where he's. He could be intimidating, but he can also be uh, vulnerable at the same time. So, yeah. I got Chris Evans. I actually thought Chris Evans potentially for Ross. Um, I thought Chris Evans and Sebastian Stan just take, you know, Captain America and his Winter Soldier. And because <laughs> Ross is like this, like, this, like picture of uh, what it means to be an American soldier. So why not just take the picture of what it is to be an American soldier and put him in there. Um, but Kendrick, what I struggled with on Kendrick was if you look at Kiefer Sutherland at that time, Kiefer Sutherland was about 25 when he played this, which it makes sense when you look at him. He's a second lieutenant. He, he's, um, he's an officer, but he's, a, he's about as low ranking of, of an officer as you can get which means he's probably a fresh out of college, fresh out of a uh, of military school guy, um, working his way up through the system. I think Chris Evans would probably be pretty uh, a little too old because if he's that age, he's going to be uh, a little higher up in in ranking at that point. So you got to come up with someone who's going to be a little younger, younger than almost everybody else except for maybe Dawson and Downey. Uh, to be this this guy who tries to be that picture of of what it means to be an American soldier, but has been corrupted by his superiors. Uh, the person I came up with for this was Lucas Till. Uh, right now he's uh, he's on TV playing MacGyver. Um, he's had a chance to be a to be a movie star with uh, his film last year, Monster Trucks. Uh, probably what he's most known as is being in the um, in the new generation of X-Men films is Havoc. I think Lucas Till, if you clean him up, could play that that um, that picture of a Marine that um, that Kendrick needs to be, and I think it would be a really interesting choice to have someone like that in that role. Yeah, I think I botched the the age on mine. I. Yeah, I totally chose someone in their mid-30s. That's not what I meant to do. I think I just screwed that up, but yeah. <laughs> Lucas Till seems like... I mean, that's that's around the right age, at least, then, yeah, so... <laughs> well, and it's weird, because you think of... When you look at Kendrick there, and maybe it's because we just think of Kiefer Sutherland and think Jack Bauer or something, but uh, but you you look at Kendrick, and you think he is a little older, but he's not. He's he's just a kid, cut, fresh out of... Uh, Fresh out of school. Okay. Uh, from uh, from Kendrick, we move on to Lieutenant Sam Weinberg. Weinberg. Uh, originally played brilliantly by the one and only Kevin Pollock. He might be my favorite character in the whole uh, in the whole movie. Um, who do you have taken on uh, uh, Weinberg? Yeah, Weinberg's sort of an important character because he's sort of, he's kind of the comedic timing at the same time. He needs to be like buddies with with Kathy, and so uh, Miles Teller's buddy in this my movie would be Jonah Hill, 
and I think I think he has a lot of the a lot of the the ticks that Kevin Pollock has, and I I think he could he could be angry and he could be and he could be funny, and I think that him and Miles Teller would absolutely make a killer combo as a as the defense team. Well, if you're going Jonah Hill as Weinberg, then why didn't you say like Channing Tatum for Jack Ross? I mean, <laughs> true. Well, they'd be against each other. We could. <laughs> I I thought I thought Jonah Hill for a second too. Um, there are a couple things that uh, I was looking at with Weinberg. Weinberg, you get the sense that he is a little older than Kathy. Because he's got this, uh, he kind of has the sense that he's a little more experienced, um, but hasn't made his way past being kind of the the assistant and the research lawyer on the team. Uh, So he's kind of a behind-the-scenes type of guy. You're right, he is kind of the comic relief. Um, On top of that, with a name like Weinberg, he's Jewish. So I was looking at that also. My choice for Sam Weinberg is Simon Helberg. Uh, known most for his role in uh, in the Big Bang Theory, um, also for his brilliant Nicolas Cage impression. Uh, but I think Simon Helberg is uh, has the right type of persona to be like the nerdy research lawyer, but also have the have the uh, the wit to um, to catch Kathy off his off his feet every now and then. Because that's what Weinberg does. Weinberg can give that one-liner that shuts Kathy up, that nobody else can do. And uh, and so I, I like Simon Helberg for that. I, I don't know. Has he ever done anything that, like, required him to be dramatic at all? Um, I don't think so. But that doesn't mean he can't. He just hasn't. Um, he's been busy for like the last 10 years playing a nerd. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Well, and he, and then he's like, he's like goof, goofing around on, uh, Florence Foster Jenkins and stuff. Yeah. I, I, it, it'd be an interesting choice. I, I do like the idea of, well, especially Rob Reiner and I guess Vincent Gilligan is the only other one that really does it is like, they take comedic actors and put them in dramatic roles. Like, like the original was like filled with like with comedians so i guess i guess that'd be a a good step all right so moving on to the next character uh you want to give us your lance corporal harold w dawson lance corporal harold w dawson so this guy um what i always liked about uh wolfgang bodison who played him originally is he was this imposing figure like, when you looked at Dawson, you kind of got scared. Because he could kick the crap out of you very easily. <laughs> and so it had to be this imposing guy that could um, also be this Marine. My choice, I don't I don't know if he could pull it off, but I would love to see him try, is uh, O'Shea Jackson Jr., uh, who is known for uh, his role in um, in Straight Outta Compton, uh, where he plays, uh, I believe he plays his father. Yeah, he plays his father in Straight Outta Compton, Ice Cube. Um, 
It hasn't done much since then. However, I think this would be a really interesting role for him, being this this big imposing guy, uh, who is this uh, younger guy in uh, in the Marines working his way up. I like that. I he uh, he. I think he could do it. He he is really good in in Straight Outta Compton. He could totally. He could totally pull it off. Like I don't think Dawson really, and not a whole lot is required of him other than just looking intimidating and being angry. So I think, I, I think pretty much anybody could do it. Which is why, for my choice, I went completely off the board and did not choose an actor. I chose uh, the Seahawks wide receiver Doug Baldwin. Ooh. I, <laughs> I I could see him delivering the the lines. Like I, I like I could hear him being like, "We were supposed to." Look out for people who can't protect themselves. We're supposed to look out for Willie. I could totally, I could totally see Baldwin, like angry Doug, playing this role like perfectly. I don't know if he wants to be an actor. He probably could be if he wants to. And I want him in this movie. <laughs> I love that. I love that. That would be amazing. And and you're right. I could totally hear it, because that's just how he talks. Like he doesn't even have to act. He like already is Dawson. <laughs> I know, like, yes, sir, I know you do, sir. (laughs) Oh, my word, that's amazing. Uh, Okay. Yeah, I was pretty proud of that one. That's that's a good one. That's a really good one. So, uh, as his his, uh, partner in crime, PFC Loudon Downey, what what are you looking at for the the vulnerable little... uh, private yeah um i struggled a little bit with this one um finding someone that would fit this this role because like you said he is he is the quiet one he is he's vulnerable he is um you get the sense that he he's kind of like the little kid brother um he's a he's a pfc which means he is fresh brand new into the military um I kind of have two choices here. Um, my first one is um, is Will Poulter, who uh, just had a, a star turn this year in uh, in Catherine Bigelow's new film Detroit. Uh, there he plays really this bad guy, this really super racist cop, um, where this would be a complete opposite turn for him. One of the things that I didn't necessarily like about him, though, for this, is he's a little too tall. Like, he's kind of a he's kind of this tall, lanky guy, and and you get this idea. Oh, I, what I always loved about the the combination of Wolfgang Bodison and James Marshall is James Marshall was always like dwarfed by the size of Dawson. You get this idea that he is this sad little puppy dog, um, and. I don't know if Poulter in at his height could could pull that off as well. My other thought is going a lot younger and going with an actor that the two of us actually personally know, and that's Nathan Gamble. Uh, he is uh, someone who um, has been a child actor, working his way through doing some things, most known for his role in the Dolphin Tale movies. Um, I think someone like that, this younger guy with this baby face... Uh, could pull off a role like this and again him being a pfc it's like he just signed up and is in like his first year 
of being in the military, and I think someone like that could pull this off really well. Yeah, that's uh, an uh, obviously a great choice. That'd be that'd be awesome to see him in that kind of role. I actually chose Will Poulter as my <laughs> as my Downey. I told you we were gonna have that one in common. Yeah, <laughs> we had it in common. I almost I mean, picked I, I him for Kendrick. I, I almost picked him for Kendrick. Uh, I can't. I, he kind of looks like a Sutherland. I, I, I could see that. But well, he's too I, young. I just, That's why I didn't do it. I think for Poulter, uh, yeah. Like I, I think of him mostly in like, We're the Millers or, what the Revenant, right? Yeah, and like I don't know. He 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 mm-hmm. seems like he has that those uh, like uh, the really like shy pushover kind of uh personality and i that's why I, that's mainly what the why i went with him but i like nathan gamble more yeah. that, that, that you should probably just <laughs> go with that and and he's 19 so he's a little uh he's right in that age where he would be that uh that fresh into the military type of kid james marshall when he played him was around that 25 range which a lot of these guys were okay Moving on to a a quiet member of the cast, a quiet character, but a very important character in a lot of ways, and that is the whistleblower in this whole thing, Lieutenant Colonel Matthew Andrew Markinson, originally played by the late J.T. Walsh. Uh, Todd, who do you see uh, pulling off Markinson? Uh, so this is sort of an outside-the-box choice. I have Will Arnett. I think that... He is really good at playing parts where, where like where the words are the important thing, and he like in obviously in this movie there's just like so there's the the screenplay is just so rich, and his character has a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of uh, quotes that I I feel like I could hear Will Arnett being, and I I don't I don't think he's ever played a soldier or anything like that, but I he he has the like the the body language of someone who could be that buttoned up. And uh, for him to be like the tragic character in the in the story, I think would be really interesting. I gotta say, for about the first half of what you said, I thought you were talking about Will Forte, and then I realized you were talking about Will Arnett. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, that would be way different. <laughs> that would be really different. Um, I've got I've got two choices for this one. Um, the first is a. Uh, is an interesting choice that I think could kind of play into the fact that maybe this is, is, is kind of like a, almost this remake is almost like a sequel. What if Kiefer Sutherland was Markinson and where he goes from being the guy who got caught in the middle of it and, and doing this to now he's the one that's being the whistleblower in the whole thing that gets caught up into it. I thought that would be kind of interesting. However, my choice uh, my top choice for Markinson is William Fickner, um, mm. who is most known to Todd and I as Mahone from Prison Break. Uh, William Fickner is, I think, fits this role really well. He has that look to him, that military look to him, um, yet he also kind of has this tragic look to him as well, which I think is important for Markinson to have. He's kind of been this doormat. He has been the guy that Jessup has walked on forever, that has always kind of been on his coattails, but has always been one step behind him, and has kind of punished himself for it. 
is kind of, is a lot of what you get from Markinson, and I think Fickner would fit that perfectly. That's a good choice. Uh, I I didn't even think of think of Fickner, but he he did, he would uh, especially the later scenes. I feel like he would be like the ideal or yeah an ideal choice. I'm getting the sense that um, if you had thought of my cast, you would have picked my cast over yours. Just throwing that out there. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> then I wouldn't get to pick Dougie. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Dougie, Dougie is probably the crowning achievement of our casting so far. Can't you see Will Arnett just sitting okay. there in a, in a hotel room with a cigarette like, and just be like, like Je- Colonel Justice about to be... Uh, then uh, promoted to the national director of defense or whatever. You don't get to that point without being able to sidestep a few landmines. <laughs> can't you just see Will, Will Arnett? Yeah, but can't you can't you also see like the the tweaking out Sona version of Mahone doing the exact same thing? Yeah, but I don't know. I don't think Markinson was that out of his mind though. Like Mahone's pretty pretty crazy, but I I, I, it, do, it, I it's more it's more the tragic side of Mahone that I that I'm was looking at there. Yeah, yeah. That that that's the the most attractive part of that casting choice. Okay, we've got one more, who's kind of not a very important part, but a very visible part throughout the uh, the movie, and that is Judge Randolph, the uh, judge presiding over the case, originally played by J. A. Preston. Todd, who do you see sitting? Uh, sitting over this case well i went with uh one of my favorite uh uh tv character actors and that's reg e kathy he's a, he's been in some movies but mo- most what he's in house of cards and he's won a couple of emmys for playing uh freddy the uh the barbecue uh the barbecue guy that uh underwood goes to all the time and he he has the yeah I, I i just really like his voice and i think that he could easily play a judge like i think it'd be sort of it would be yeah it'd be easy for him and it would be it would be interesting and it would give uh that character a little bit more dynamic than i think he got in the original movie okay okay my uh my choice for judge randolph is uh is one that um plays to something that i thought was a really interesting uh interesting tie in the original film the original film, um, one of the things that I thought was really interesting is the head of the JAG office was John M. Jackson, who ended up playing Admiral Chegwigan in JAG, the, t- the television show. Um, and there was this tie there that I thought was really cool. So my choice for Judge Randolph is David James Elliott, who is most known for playing... Harmon Rab, the main character from the television show Jag. Uh, he's a little older now. Uh, we don't know how things turned out between them in, uh, in at the end of Jag, but maybe 10 years down the road, Harm is now a judge, and he's the one now sitting over, over this case uh, that has come forward. So he might be, he might be Judge Rab. I think that would be pretty cool, right? That would be pretty cool. That one makes more sense than uh, 
I think, uh, having Kiefer playing Markinson, because I, I think he was going to get kicked out of the military, wasn't he? Like, he was going to jail. Oh, yeah, he, he was he was getting discharged, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I The last time I saw David James Elliott, he was playing John Wayne in Trumbo. He was pretty good at that, so... Yeah, he, he, <laughs> he doesn't do much anymore, but, uh... But I I think he would uh he'd be a good one to to reprise a uh, a legal military role uh, in this uh, in this film. All right, so there's our uh, our remaking of a few good men, and uh, now now the powers that be just need to listen to this podcast so they can put some of this together for that live broadcast coming out next year. I had two Oscar nominees, one Oscar winner, a Pro Bowler, and an Emmy winner. <laughs> so there's that. I had I had one Oscar winner and and a bunch of up and comers is really what I had. Um I'd love to see Will Poulter get nominated this year for Detroit though. That would be amazing. It really would. Okay. Uh we're moving off of uh off of a few good men now. Uh, we'll come back to that a little later when we finish up our podcast. But right now, we're going to move on to our power rankings. You can't top that. Yeah, definitely. Exactly. Exactly. Power rankings. Today for our power rankings, I mentioned earlier that there really wasn't anything coming out this weekend. There wasn't anything big coming out this weekend, but one of the films that did come out was the uh, the new biopic, uh, Marshall. Uh talking about the first African-American Supreme Court Justice Thurgood Marshall, played by Chadwick Boseman in this movie. And it made us think about what are the best biopic performances of the 21st century so far. These are So this is actors playing real-life people. What have been the best performances? And we usually do a top five. This one was such a rich... Uh, category that we decided to go with a top 10 um, and even then we've got the top tier uh, top tier guys here I I felt bad because I you know you always like to sneak in someone that's kind of like a personal favorite a, a guilty pleasure one or something like that I couldn't there were too many good ones to put in there so I I didn't even get to do much of that um, one of the things we did last time uh, when we did our power rankings is we had a, a little competition uh, picking an over under on overlapping on this uh, on this power ranking and I think we set our line I think it might just be our, our go to line on something like this we set our line at two and a half is that right Todd? yeah two and a half that, I think so, that's a good, a good one since we're doing ten yeah that's, that's about right I'm going to take the over I'm going to say I'm going to say four. I'm going to say four overlap. I'm going to go under. I'm pretty sure we're going to have two. Okay. All right. We'll, uh, we'll see who's right. And we got to come up with, with something. One of the things, so our, our buddy Adam and, uh, and his buddy Ben, they do the Red and Brown podcast. They have uh, their own little competition with a box office on one of the movies that's coming out that week. And uh, we like the competition they do, and they have a little uh, running game that they do with it. We got to come up with what our uh, what our punishment is going to be for the person who loses. Um, maybe the person who wins gets to pick what our power ranking is next time. Okay, I go with that. I'm good. I'm good with that too. Let, let's go with that. 
Uh, we, by the way, we were trying to get uh, uh, Adams and Zach's uh, power ranking for this. Um, if we get it, we'll uh, we'll uh, let you guys know maybe on our next podcast. Uh, but let's go ahead and get and get into this here. Uh, I'll go ahead and start with my number ten uh, biopic performance, and that is Eddie Redmayne playing Stephen Hawking in The Theory of Everything. I thought this was a perfect casting for this part. He is, One of the things I love about biopic performances is when someone can completely disappear into a role, and especially if they can find a way to look like them. And that is one of the things that Eddie Redmayne did here. He completely disappeared into the role and looked scarily like Stephen Hawking throughout this film. He totally deserved his Oscar when he won for it. Absolutely loved this performance, and it really put him on the map like nothing else had before. Eddie Redmayne, Theory of Everything, number 10. I did not have Eddie Redmayne on my list, but uh, that's obviously a great choice. He He's perfect as that. As that. I mean, it's, all, it's a, the most physical performance that you could possibly have other than like maybe Daniel Day-Lewis in My Left Foot. So yeah, it's great performance. My number 10, I have Bruno Ganz in Downfall. Uh, Downfall is, for me, the best, most, most authentic representation of Hitler in a movie. And Ganz is just on fire. He, every, everything he does, like, it's even iconic in a way because, like, there's a lot of YouTube videos and memes that, that use the, the bunker scene from that and, like, of, or he, of him, like, looking, like, watching in horror. And uh, I, it, it's just a, a really watchable electric performance. And I, like, I, if it was in English... I think he would have been nominated at the Oscars, but, uh, yeah, and it's also a, a way of perf- uh, performing Hitler in that, a way that I wouldn't actually imagine him being, which I, I kind of appreciate that, too, so, yeah, Bruno Ganz is my number 10. I've never seen that movie, but I've always wanted to, because I've heard he's absolutely outstanding in it. Uh, number 9 for me, my name is Harvey Milk, and I'm here to recruit you. Sean Penn... In Milk, another Oscar-winning performance, uh, playing Harvey Milk, the uh, first openly gay uh, city councilman in the city of San Francisco, uh, once again, absolutely disappears into this role. I think for a legendary actor like Sean Penn, this is possibly his best performance in, in telling this incredible story and uh, in, in his incredible, incredibly tragic ending. Um, I loved watching him play this character. Absolutely outstanding. Sean Penn Milk, my number nine. Yeah, that's another another great choice. I did that one did not quite make the cut. That was uh, one of the last ones eliminated before my top ten. So oh! my, number, my number nine is uh, Q Orianka Kilcher in the New World. And although it's never actually spoken her name in the movie, she's playing Pocahontas, and uh, she hardly speaks at all during the movie, but so her, but her performance is, like, perfect, and it's all body language and facial expressions, and it's a, it's just a beautiful acting. She, she never really capitalized on that performance and, like, the potential that she showed afterwards, but uh, this was just a, a, just a dynamite performance, and uh, it's crazy that no Malik... Uh, actor has ever been nominated she definitely should have been i thought about uh putting her in i thought about putting uh, 
putting Colin Farrell or Christian Bale in for playing John John Rolfe and John Smith. Um, but I didn't. Uh, my number eight is uh, a performance that was very notably left off of the Oscar list a few years ago, and that is David Oyelowo's turn as Martin Luther King Jr. in Selma. Absolutely incredible performance. Uh, he really brings on the persona of Dr. King so well in this film and carries this powerful film throughout. I thought he was absolutely outstanding. He was completely robbed in missing uh, in missing out on an Oscar nomination. But uh, David Oyelowo, my number eight. Yeah, that, that did not quite make my list, but uh, another, another just amazing performance, yeah. And... Uh... Yeah, Selma was just cursed with its uh, release, like, uh, it just, I don't know, it was ignored by every award thing just because, like, it, it just had a terrible, terrible release. Okay, my number eight is Christian Bale in The Fighter, uh, Oscar-winning performance. He plays uh, Dickie Ward, the older brother to Mark Wahlberg's Mickey. He's a former boxer whose career was derailed by drugs, and it's a, just a classic Christian Bale transforming his body into a a character and every movement and tick and facial expression is just perfect. He's it's a yeah. I it's hard to imagine a whole any other actor really pulling that off and it's Bale's best best work ever by a by a mile. That performance did not make my top forty. But here's why. I wanted to only have one performance per actor in my top forty and the biopic performance I picked for Christian Bale was Rescue Dawn over The Fighter. Wow. However, Rescue Dawn didn't make my list either. <laughs> you think he was better in Rescue Dawn than he was in The Fighter? That's crazy. I don't know. Maybe? Anyways, let's move on. <laughs> Alright. <laughs> I don't want to argue. I don't want to argue what possibly may have been a mistake on my part. Um, <laughs> all right, number seven on my list comes from one of the possibly the best years when it came to, to, uh, to biopic performances, uh, David Strathairn as, uh, Edward R. Murrow in Good Night and Good Luck. Incredible performance, incredibly subtle performance from David Strathairn, a man who really was known to this point as a character actor takes on the lead in this film and <clears throat> is the uh, is the picture of integrity that he is supposed to be. I absolutely love the film. His performance is one of my favorites. Um, and I would have loved to see him win for his performance. However, I understand him losing considering what he lost too. Uh, but David Strathairn, number seven. Yeah, it didn't quite make my list either, but yeah, uh, yeah, he's he's perfect in that in that role. It's the he has the voice, the perfect voice for that for that role, and yeah, and yeah, he obviously lost to <laughs> an even better performance. Okay, my number seven is uh, Benicio del Toro in Che, and I'm not sure there's ever been a casting choice that made more sense than having Benicio del Toro play Che Guevara and. You never really feel like you're watching Del Toro. You're just 
it's he's just immersed in the character and he just disappears and he is absolutely astonishing agreed well i haven't seen it but i agree with the part that it makes perfect sense that benicio del toro plays che Guevara. i i want to see it i've always wanted to see it because that casting was like one of those no duh moments in hollywood yeah number six on my list uh, is a performance that is uh, not necessarily the focal point of the film, however, may have been the best performance of the film, um, and that is Kate Blanchett playing Katherine Hepburn in The Aviator. I really wanted to get Leonardo DiCaprio on this list uh, as well, however, this is the performance from The Aviator I chose, uh, because Katherine Hepburn... And Kate Blanchett in this film, they really are like one. Um, she won an Oscar for it, which was so well deserved. Um, and I think we've talked about this before. Is this the only time? I think it's the only time someone has won an Oscar for playing an Oscar winner. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that was the stat. Yeah. Yeah. She gets her mannerisms down. She gets the voice down. She uh, she doesn't really look like her at, in normal, but she finds a way to uh, to completely embody this uh, this larger than life personality. Uh, I love the performance. It's my number six. Yeah, didn't quite make my list either, but uh, yeah, that was in that was in the uh, next ten that I had. Dude, uh, dude, my four is looking really, really bad right now. I know. I told you. I'm pretty sure we're going to have two. Uh, <laughs> my number six <laughs> is Jesse Eisenberg in The Social Network. And it's another brilliant piece of casting. And uh, Eisenberg has always like sort of been typecast. So playing Mark Zuck Zuckerberg was sort of a, a step out because he doesn't really sound anything like him. But uh, the, it is a character that he was able to use what makes him interesting and unique. And... Uh, he spits out Sorkin's words as well as anybody has ever done, and uh, I think it's a mesmerizing performance and like one of the highest war performances of the decade. Like I, I can't see another actor playing it now. Uh, Jesse Eisenberg in the Social Network did not make my list. <laughs> there were just too many good performances. It was in the next group, just left off, but he did not make my list. Uh, number five on my list is not necessarily a great movie but it is an incredible performance and that is Meryl Streep playing Margaret Thatcher in The Iron Lady uh, totally deserving of the Oscar she won for it as she uh, again disappeared into this role uh, totally became this character it's really strange that they went to Meryl Streep to play like the most iconic British lady or one of the most iconic British ladies um, of the last 30, 40 years. But uh, she did an incredible job in this role um, and really made the movie halfway decent. Well, I don't, yeah, I don't really think the movie's all that good. She's really good. And another performance that did not make my list. <laughs> all right. My, well, we got four uh, more to go. Five. We still might have... If we have the same top four, we're good. I guarantee we don't. Uh, <laughs> Well, my number five is Rebecca <laughs> Hall in Christine. And she plays uh, Christine Chubbuck, who is uh, the reporter who is the first person to commit suicide live on TV. And uh, 
she's a really subtle actress in this uh, performance or this role really uh, showcased that because she was a uh, she's a sort of a wounded soul and you, she wears her emotions really well and like it, it has a really grainy look to the movie which makes it seem like you're not really watching an actor like you're it's almost like you're watching documented footage and seeing the psychological turmoil that she's going through and it's just it, it was the best performance i saw in 2016 she's my best actress winner that year and uh yeah it's my number five i haven't seen that movie so obviously it's not on my list we might have the same top four you never know i'm pretty sure you haven't seen one of these though okay moving on to our top four uh my number four film is or my number four performance is philip seymour hoffman as truman capote in capote uh this is the film that really defined philip seymour hoffman's career in a lot of ways it was one of his few leading turns in his career it was an extremely subtle performance which uh really was what he was all about he was all about the subtleties he was absolutely incredible um and it gave him his oscar his well-deserved oscar and the only thing i i regret is the fact that he didn't have an opportunity to win more yeah uh that will show up later on my list yes we got one uh <laughs> my number four is christian mckay in me and orson welles and uh there have been other takes on orson welles i know lee of schreiber played him in a tv movie at one point but uh never has there been an actor that has gotten the larger than life presence of of orson welles more than mckay and uh he has the nuances and the mannerisms and the voice but i mean he dominates every scene and that's exactly what what he needs to do even in like the the quieter more private scenes and the, the ego that he has and everything is brilliantly put on display i mean you could give some credit probably to richard Linklater. But, uh, I don't know. M McKay is just unbelievably good. And I, I cannot understand how he did not get nominated for Best Sporting Actor in 2009. I actually think he should have beaten Christoph Waltz. But he, uh, yeah, that is my number four. I haven't seen me and Orson Welles. It can't be on my list. Number three on my list is my third performance that was nominated for Best Actor in 2005 to appear on my list, and that is Joaquin Phoenix as Johnny Cash in Walk the Line. This performance is one of those, like, creepy performances in how good he is able to embody this musician, this character, this larger-than-life personality that still has all these subtleties to him. I love the performance. The fact that he did all of his own music also was absolutely incredible. It, it, it was it was just amazing to see. Uh, I liked this more than I liked uh, Jamie Foxx and Ray. Jamie Foxx won an Oscar in Ray. However, this is the one that I liked more. Joaquin Phoenix didn't quite make my list, but uh, that's another great performance. And yeah, 2005 Best Actor was the most stacked category I can ever remember. My number three is Casey Affleck in The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford. It is the most inspired piece of casting in a movie uh, in the uh, time frame that we're talking about. And uh, 
he has this quiet demeanor and he's really nervous and his broken voice is like what Affleck is like most known for and why he's why he's so great and uh he plays the eventual murderer of Jesse James, which is played by Brad Pitt, which is actually Pitt's best performance ever and would have made my list if I was actually going to use two performances from the same movie. And uh, Affleck just steals the entire movie. He's got the vulnerability and the the stature and the body language and the diction. Everything is just flawless. It's one of the best performances of the last two decades. Did not make my list. However, I agree it's a great performance. Number two on my list is Russell Crowe portraying John Nash in A Beautiful Mind. This is one of my all-time favorite films, and Russell Crowe gives what I think is probably his best performance. I know he won his Oscar for Gladiator, but he so should have won for A Beautiful Mind as well. Absolutely incredible uh, film and an incredible performance about this um this professor who slowly loses his mind. Um, I will always remember the first time I watched this film, going into it not quite knowing what was coming at the end. And it starts out as one film, and then you realize that he actually is losing his mind. It is an amazing transformation when you start to realize that and realize just how delusional he's become and how he works his way out of it. Absolutely amazing performance. Absolutely amazing movie. If you haven't seen it, go see it. Incredible. Uh, another performance that did not quite make my list. That was I think that was the last one that was uh, Dude. knocked out before my top ten. Ugh. But uh, Dude, you're going to be wrong too. In, <laughs> yeah, I actually think his best performance is in uh, uh, The Insider, but obviously. He's amazing in A Beautiful Mind. Uh, my number two is Charlize Theron in Monster. Uh, the biggest physical transformation of the millennium or maybe of all time. It's And it's not just, like, gaining weight and makeup work. It's, like, she... Every... Like, it's hard to imagine any bit of Charlize Theron in that, in that character. Like, she, is, she becomes Eileen Wuornos. And even in, like, the quieter scenes with uh, Selby, who was equally good played by Christina Ricci like it's not just her like screaming and like killing people it's like she is is a complete a perfect performance and maybe yeah I yeah, I don't know I it's hard it's hard not to put it number one but there is another performance that should be or could be but I I mean it, it, it it's this performance that makes the movie not more than just like a typical serial killer movie it makes it like a rewarding and like devastating movie to watch that did not make my list but i'm kind of regretting it not making it because you're absolutely right she was outstanding and yet one of the most insane transformations of an act actor of all time completely how is that not on your list <laughs> i don't know i don't know i didn't think of it it should have been it should have been anyways uh, that's let's move depressing. on I know, I know. Number one. Uh, my number one is uh, an actor we've already talked about earlier on in the podcast. Uh, Daniel Day-Lewis's portrayal of Abraham Lincoln in Lincoln. I was having trouble figuring out what I was going to put number one because there are so many great performances on this list. 
And then I remembered just how much Daniel Day-Lewis just completely transformed into Abraham Lincoln for this role. Uh, it was absolutely incredible. He, uh, in a lot of ways, he had to create a persona because we don't have any recordings of how he sounded. We don't really know much about him other than the pictures that we have. First off, he made himself look creepily like Abraham Lincoln. And then his choice for a voice for him was very subtle and very soft, and it was it was a beautiful choice. I love the the performance. It is an in, incredible movie, an outstanding movie, uh, one of Spielberg's best in a while. Going back to talking about Spielberg again, this is mentioned in the film, by the way, and Daniel Day Lewis is interviewed. That is a good a, a good part of the of the film. Anyways. Daniel Day-Lewis, Abraham Lincoln. Um, it, I, I had to choose which Abraham Lincoln. Was it going to be Daniel Day-Lewis in Lincoln, or was it going to be Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter? Uh, I went with Lincoln. <laughs> uh, the that, that portrayal of Lincoln in 2012. So, there you go. Yeah, I think uh, The Vampire Hunter might be a more accurate movie, but this is a better performance for sure. Uh, <laughs> but, I... Uh, yeah, they did not quite make my list. I, I do love the performance, and I, I think they got him looking so much like Lincoln, and that's that. I think that was like half of half of it. But it's almost unfair to compare Daniel Day Lewis to everybody else. It's like he should just be in a different category. We should do a top ten Daniel Day Lewis Oscar-winning performances. Uh, <laughs> anyway, my number one is Philip Seymour Hoffman in Capote. Uh, I really didn't think there was another answer. I can't believe you had it so low on your list. That was kind of crazy. Uh, it's Hoffman's most complete and brilliant and haunting performance, and uh, it's just a full commitment to a character. Like, the mannerism, the diction, how he carries himself, everything about him is just perfect. He is Capote, and uh, every line is just effortless and authentic, and I, I always struggle between him and Heath Ledger in 2005, who actually should have won that year, but it's also the quest for who actually gave the best performance of the 2000s and i still don't know which one like on in the day the day changes it changes daily between him and ledger but it's just one of the greatest acting performances i've ever seen and to think also in that category you had joaquin phoenix and walk the line you had david strathairn and good night and good luck and the fifth one went to terrence howard for hustle and flow but it also could have easily gone to Russell Crowe for Cinderella Man, which was another biopic performance. Or Bruno Ganz. Yeah. It was a stacked year, not only for just act, lead actor performances, but it was a stacked year for biopic performances. It really was. Okay, so to Indeed. recap, I got crushed in this <laughs> competition here. <laughs> You even know over over bid. You said two. It ended up being one. But well, that's uh, to you recap here, Charlie Theron on your list. <laughs> I, sure I know. Common ones. I know. Why did I do that? I don't know. Anyways, uh, so to recap here, my number ten, Eddie Redmayne, Theory of Everything. Number nine, Sean Penn and Milk. Number eight, David Oyelowo in Selma. Number seven, David Strathairn in Good Night and Good Luck. 
Number six, Kate Blanchett in The Aviator. Number five, Meryl Streep in The Iron Lady. Number four, Philip Seymour Hoffman in Capote. Number three, Joaquin Phoenix in Walk the Line. Number two, Russell Crowe in A Beautiful Mind. And number one, Daniel Day-Lewis in Lincoln. Okay, yeah. I noticed that you, you went with more like traditional biopics, and I just went with people playing real real people. So that probably was the uh, where the distance came from. Uh, my number 10 is Bruno Gans in Downfall. Number 9, Kiorianka Kilcher in The New World. Christian Bale in The Fighter is number 8. Number 7, Benicio Del Toro in Che. Number 6, Jesse Eisenberg in The Social Network. Number 5, Rebecca Hall in Christine. Number four, Christian McKay in Me and Orson Welles. Casey Affleck in The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford is my number three. Charlie Stern in Monster is number two. And number one is Philip Seymour Hoffman in Capote. Man, that was a tough list. That might have been the, the most difficult list we've done so far because there were so many good ones. All right, everybody, this just in. <laughs> We have Adam's power ranking for biopic performances of the 21st century. We haven't looked at it yet. We're going to reveal it uh, right now and see what uh, what we think. So, uh, his number 10 is Paul Dano for Love and Mercy. Number 9, mm. Kate Blanchett in either I'm Not There or The Aviator. Number eight, Josh Brolin in Milk. Number seven, Christian Bale in The Fighter. Number six, Michelle Williams, My Week with Marilyn. Number five, Leonardo DiCaprio, The Aviator. Number four, Jesse Eisenberg, Social Network. Number three, Jamie Foxx in Ray. Number two, Tom Hardy in Bronson. And number one, making me feel even stupider, is Charlize Theron in Monster. Todd, your thoughts. Yeah, you really screwed that up. <laughs> so I had what? That's I had what three three in common with him or four? One, two. Uh, you had three. This is definitely an Adam list. Uh, Paul Dano in Love and Mercy is an interesting choice. I, I I do like that. I don't think he was quite up to that level, especially leaving off Philip Seymour Hoffman. But you know. Yeah, Capote didn't even make the list at all. It's also bizarre him him leaving off uh, Leo for The Revenant, considering that was his number one of the year, and I'm pretty sure that he's his best actor winner. Yeah. So it looks like you had uh, Charlize Theron, Jesse Eisenberg, and Christian Bale in common. I had one in common with Kate Blanchett. He had a he had a performance from Milk, but not the same performance. That's a little bizarre. Josh Brolin over Sean Penn. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, there you go. There is Adam's list. This has turned out to be quite the lengthy podcast, but that is okay. It's time to wrap us up, though, with our quote of the day. Strawberries. Not the cheese. Womack, you bastard. Quote of the day. After talking so long about uh, A Few Good Men, we decided to quote it uh, as our quote of the day. I'll start us out. My uh, my quote of the day from A Few Good Men. When you're talking Aaron Sorkin, you have to talk a little bit of dialogue. So mine is a, a little bit of dialogue between uh, Galloway and Caffey when 
Galloway first meets Lieutenant Caffey. Uh, he's playing softball. And she looks at him and says, I don't think you're fit to handle the defense. To which Caffey says, you don't even know me. Ordinarily, it takes someone hours to discover I'm not fit to handle a defense. <laughs> uh, so awesome. there's, there, yeah, there's my quote for you. Yeah, there were a lot mine of good is, choices, but that's the one I settled on. Go ahead, tell me yours. Yeah, mine is also not like not exactly profound or anything, but uh, like uh, they were uh, Weinberg and Joe were just fighting in uh, in Danny's apartment, and so Danny's like, "All right." Take the night off. We've been working 20 hours a day for three and a half weeks. Take the night off. Sam, go see your wife and your daughter, Joe. Go do whatever it is you do when you're not in court. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Sorkin's a genius. I mean, seriously, how could anybody else write that script? Yeah, it it would not be as good. Unless maybe uh, if David Mamet could do it or something. He... Ooh, that'd be interesting. Thanks so much for uh, joining us for the Almost Sideways podcast this time. Tune in in a couple weeks. We'll be back uh, talking about whatever Todd wants us to talk about for the power rankings, apparently, because I can't seem to figure out how many we're going to get right. Um, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, again, please... Uh, Rate us, review us, subscribe on iTunes. Uh, Check us out all over the internet. Thanks so much for listening, and we will catch you next time. Adios. So that was a disaster. Catch you on a manjay.